Follow Sean on social media at Sean B. Planet. His podcast audio is on the Sean B. Planet channel on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. His videos are on YouTube and BitChute. Live streams on DLive and Twitch. Blogs, links, and other stuff can be found at SeanBPlanet.com. All right, take two. We're doing this again. <laughs> We're doing this again. My mic stopped working, of course, right right as I begin recording. All systems were go. I click start. My mic stopped stop stop working. Looks like we're we're good now though. We're rolling. If not, hit me up in the chat again. TR Tales, my dude, what's going on? Joe Gagan was here until I had to start over. What's going on, y'all? Glad you're here. <laughs> Glad you're here. Happy Monday, y'all. Um, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully everyone tunes back in. I had a, looks like I had, was going to have a good good show in here. Hopefully we still do. Um, welcome in. Buenos noches, my dudes. Feliz uh, Dia de los Muertos, my dudes. Uh, <laughs> my duderinos. Welcome in, y'all. Um, happy almost spooky Halloween night. What is it? Five days, six days from now. Happy Halloween. Um, I am Sean Corey. You know me. This is the Sean V Planet live stream. We're here. We're live. We're doing it every Monday night, 8 p.m. Central Time, the one true time zone um, on YouTube, DLive, Trovo, and Twitter live. I'm coming off a seven-day ban on Twitter, so uh, hopefully this is even working there. If not, it will be, I guess, in the future. Um, at not Sean B Planet on Twitter for that every Monday night live. I'm here on Instagram live tonight. I only do those live when I'm not doing clips and streams and drops and audio um, because I can't feed that into Instagram as I'm doing this. But dlive.tv slash Sean V Planet, trovo.live slash Sean V Planet until they kick me off, youtube.com slash C slash Sean V Planet until they kick me off. You know the deal. And I'm finally on Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E dot com slash at Sean V Planet. I think you do have to put the at in there. Um, all my replays are up there, at least like my last 20 replays are up on Odyssey. So find me, subscribe to me there. I'm going to be doing live streams there sometime in the future. But for now, subscribe. Um, yeah, again, I am Sean Corey. This is the Sean V Planet live stream, SeanVPlanet.com for all the stuff, all the content. You know the deal by now. My guest uh, could not make it tonight. Could not make it tonight. I'm going to try to reschedule for December with him because we also have some awesome guests lined up and coming on for the next month. Um, but this is like a backup stream topic I wanted to talk about and it fits in perfect with our super spooky uh, night, our super spooky week, right? Um we're talking about population control and genocide. <laughs> Ooh, super spooky, right? Um, and it's probably not the genocide that's on everyone's minds these days. Um, <laughs> I'm not, we're not gonna get. We're not gonna get into it. We're not gonna get into the uh, the jabba dabba ding dong. That's not what we're talking about here tonight. We're talking about a. Uh, science fiction short story by Kurt Vonnegut that we're going to read here momentarily and get into it and discuss it. Um, thank you all for the chat. Yeah, TR Dale says it's been a while. Good to see you live again. Hope all is well, brother. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. Um, sorry about that first stream, guys. <laughs> Epic fail. My uh, mic just stopped working as soon as I hit um, go, as soon as I hit, hit record or, um, you know, the, the start streaming button. We're doing it again. This is take two on this Monday night, 8 p.m. Central Time. You know the deal. You know the drill. Um, yeah. The Day of the Dead is the 1st of November. The uh, next day you're streaming. Yeah, that's also All Saints Day, um, which is going to be dope. <laughs> Tune in live next Monday night because I'm going to have the, the legend, the legend, at Fencing Bear, Rachel Fulton Brown is coming on my stream to have an awesome like chit chat and interview on All Saints Day, November first, the uh, day after Halloween. Um, it's like the real Halloween. <laughs> I'm gonna ask her. We're gonna get into like the history of that day, and she's gonna talk about it and break it down. 
as a legend who knows all about the, all about it does, um, as one does who knows stuff. <laughs> they explain it well to others and to idiots like me. But All Saints Day is November first, and Halloween was supposed to be the eve of Saint Eight Saint All Saints Day, I believe. But RFB, RFB, the legend, the fencing bear at prayer, is uh, going to come on and explain and discuss it. So tune in, catch the replay of that if you can't be here live on November 1st, Monday night, 8 p.m. Central. Um, but thank you for tuning in live tonight. NWA Bear, what's up, my dude? Hope all is well. Joe Gagan was here. Hopefully hopefully he's, he's coming back. My dude, my fellow Legionnaire, my fellow Legion of Bears member. I'm doing the recruit challenge on November 1st. Is actually also my first day of the Legion of Bears challenge. I was supposed to do it... Um, twice <laughs> already this summer uh first one was i believe in um may or june and the second one was august or september i'm forgetting which dates i guess it would be september and june and failed both times to sign up for those and make it work but we're doing it we're in it legion of bears november challenge recruit um i think it's like the 12th or the 13th class recruit class i'm in it we're in it to win it we're gonna crush um, my class is looking strong. My recruit class is looking strong. And yeah, Joe Gagan, my dude, is uh, I believe he passed the last challenge. So a fellow Legion Bear, Legion of Bear member. Um, Steadfast Bear, what's going on? Man, thank you for tuning in. Everyone on DLive, everyone on YouTube, Instagram Live, right on. We're going to get into it. Enough, enough intro, enough wasting your time. This is a science fiction short story by Kurt Vonnegut, written in 1962. 60 years ago. 60 years ago. And still profound and insightful and basically still a futuristic dystopian novel. Um, and hopefully it stays that way. The title of it is 2BR02B, spelled out. So, you know, numbers, number two, letter B. Letter R, number zero, number two, letter B, but it is pronounced to be or not to be. To be or R, to be R, not zero, not to be. To be or not to be. In reference to the famous line from William Shakespeare's Ham Hamlet, um, we are going to read through it real quick. I'm going to read it, read the story now, and then we're going to talk about it. It isn't too long. Um, so stay tuned, stick, stick, stick with me here as I go through it. Um, Vonnegut is a legend. I don't know if you've ever read him. He's my favorite author of all time. He has a bunch of awesome short stories, but this one is extremely profound and insightful. And while I am reading, feel free to send any comments or questions you have um, in the live chat here, and I'll get to them as always. And we'll discuss and talk about it and summarize it and give like the Christian perspective on it as usual on these streams. That's what I do, right? That's what we're here for. Um, so yeah, with that, yeah. T.R. Dale, hail Legion. Yeah. <laughs> hail Legion. Are you in the Legion, my dude? T.R. Dales? Am I missing you? Are you in the Legion and I don't even know? That's awesome. So starts off my little pdf file here of it um i had a copy in like a book with a with a bunch of collections of short stories and i don't know what happened to it i guess i lost this book that had a bunch of Vonnegut short stories in it so had to pdf it right here it starts off with got a problem just pick up the phone it solved them all and all the same way to be or not to be a little picture up here by kurt vonnegut jr the legend everything was perfectly swell there were no prisons no slums no insane asylums no cripples no poverty no wars all diseases were conquered so was old age death barring accidents was an adventure for volunteers the population of the united states was stabilized at 40 million souls Four zero million souls. One bright morning in the Chicago Lying In Hospital, a man named Edward K. Welling Jr. waited for his wife to give birth. He was the only man waiting. Not many people were born a day anymore. 
Welling was 56, a mere stripling in a population whose average age was 129. X-rays had revealed that his wife was going to have triplets. The children would be his first. Young Welling was hunched in his chair, his head in his hand. He was so rumpled, so still and colorless as to be virtually invisible. His camouflage was perfect, since the waiting room had a disorderly and demoralized air, too. Chairs and ashtrays had been moved away from the walls. The floor was paved with spattered drop cloths. The room was being redecorated. It was being redecorated as a memorial to a man who had volunteered to die. A sardonic old man, about 200 years old, sat on a stepladder, painting a, mur a mural he did not like. Back in the days when people aged visibly, his age would have been guessed at 35 or so. Aging had touched him that much before the cure for aging was found. The mural he was working on depicted a very neat garden. Men and women in white, doctors and nurses, turned the soil, planted seedlings, sprayed bugs, spread fertilizer. Men and women in purple uniforms pulled up weeds, cut down plants that were old and sickly, raked leaves, carried refuse to trash burners. Never, 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 not even in medieval Holland nor old Japan, had a garden been more formal, better tended, been better tended. Every plant had all the loom, loom, loam, light, water, air, and nourishment it could use. A hospital orderly came down the corridor, singing under his breath a popular song. If you don't like my kisses, honey, here's what I will do. I'll go see a girl in purple, kiss this sad world toodaloo. If you don't want my lovin', why should I take up all this space? I'll get off this old planet, let some sweet baby have my place. The orderly looked in at the mural and the muralist. Looks so real, he said. I can practically imagine I'm standing in the middle of it. What makes you think you're not in it, said the painter. He gave a satiric smile. It's called the Happy Garden of Life, you know. That's good of Dr. Hitz, said the orderly. He was referring to one of the, fem of the male figures in white, whose head was a portrait of Dr. Benjamin Hitz the hospital's chief obstetrician. Hitz was a blindingly handsome man. Lots of faces still to fill in, said the orderly. He meant that the faces of the many figures in the mural were still blank. All blanks were to be filled with portraits of important people on either the hospital staff or from the Chicago office of the Federal Bureau of Termination. Must be nice to be able to make pictures that look like something said the orderly. The painter's face curled, curdled with scorn. You think I'm proud of this daub, he said. You think this is my idea of what life really looks like? What's your idea of what life looks like, said the orderly. The painter gestured at a foul drop cloth. There's a good picture of it, he said. Frame that and you'll have a picture a damn sight more honest than this one. You're a gloomy old duck, aren't you? Said the orderly. Is that a crime? Said the painter. The orderly shrugged. If you don't like it here, Grandpa, he said, and he finished the thought with the trick telephone number that people who didn't want to live anymore were supposed to call. The zero in the telephone number he pronounced not. The number was to be or not to be. It was the telephone number of an institution whose fanciful sobriquets included Automat, Birdland, Cannery, Catbox, D-Louser, Easy Go, Goodbye Mother, Happy Hooligan, Kiss Me Quick, Lucky Pierre, Sheep Dip, Warring Blender, Weep No More, and Why Worry. To be or not to be was the telephone number of the municipal gas chambers of the Federal Bureau of Termination. The painter thumbed his nose at the orderly. 
When I decide it's time to go, he said, it won't be at the sheep dip. A do-it-yourselfer, eh? said the orderly. Messy business, Grandpa. Why don't you have a little consideration for the people who have to clean up after you? The painter expressed with an obscenity his lack of concern for the tribulations of his survivors. The world could do with a good deal more mess, if you ask me, he said. The orderly laughed and moved on. Welling, the waiting father, mumbled something without raising his head. And then he fell silent again. A coarse, formidable woman strode into the waiting room on spike heels. Her shoes, stockings, trench coat, bag, and overseas cap were all purple. The purple the painter called the color of grapes on Judgment Day. The medallion on her purple musette bag was the seal of the service division of the Federal Bureau of Termination, an eagle perched on a turnstile. The woman had a lot of facial hair, an unmistakable mustache, in fact. A curious thing about gas chamber hostesses was that, no matter how lovely and feminine they were when recruited, they all sprouted mustaches within five years or so. Is this where I'm supposed to come? She said to the painter. A lot would depend on what your business was, he said. You aren't about to have a baby, are you? They told me I was supposed to pose for some picture, she said. My name's Leora Duncan. She waited. And you dunk people, he said. What? She said. Skip it, he said. That sure is a beautiful picture, she said. Looks just like heaven or something. Or something, said the painter. He took a list of names from his smock pocket. Duncan, 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 he said, scanning the list. Yes, here you are. You're entitled to be immortalized. See any faceless body here you'd like me to stick your head on? We've got a few choice ones left. She, the, she studied the mural bleakly. Gee, she said, they're all the same to me. I don't know anything about art. A body's a body, eh? He said. All righty. As a master of fine art, I recommend this body here. He indicated a faceless figure of a woman who was carrying dried stalks to a trash burner. Well, said Lior Duncan, that's more the disposal people, isn't it? I mean, I'm in service. I don't do any disposing. The painter clapped his hands in mock delight. You say you don't know anything about art, and then you prove in the next breath that you know more about it than I do. Of course, the sheave carrier is wrong for a hostess. A snipper, a pruner, that's more your line. He pointed to a figure in purple who was sawing a dead branch from an apple tree. How about her, he said. You like her at all? Gosh, she said, and she blushed and became humble. That, that puts me right next to Dr. Hitz. That upsets you, he said. Good gravy, no, she said. It's, it's just such an honor. Ah, you admire him, eh? He said. Who doesn't admire him, she said, worshipping the portrait of Hitz. It was the portrait of a tanned, white-haired, omnipotent Zeus, 240 years old. Who doesn't admire him, she said again. He was responsible for setting up the very first gas chamber in Chicago. Nothing would please me more, said the painter, than to put you next to him for all time, sawing off a limb that strikes you as appropriate. That is kind of like what I do, she said. She was demure about what she did. What she did was make people comfortable while she killed them. And while Leora Duncan was posing for her portrait, into the waiting room bounded Dr. Hitz himself. He was seven feet tall, and he boomed with importance, accomplishments, and the joy of living. Well, Miss Duncan, Miss Duncan, he said, and he made a joke. What are you doing here, he said. This isn't where the people leave. This is where they come in. We're going to be in the same picture together, she said shyly. Good, said Dr. Hitz heartily. And say, isn't that some picture? I sure am honored to be in it with you, she said. Let me tell you, he said, I'm honored to be in it with you.
Without women like you, this wonderful world we've got wouldn't be possible. He saluted her and moved toward the door that led to the delivery rooms. Guess what was just born, he said. I can't, she said. Triplets, he said. Triplets, she said. She was exclaiming over the legal implication of triplets. The law said that no newborn child could survive unless the parents of the child could find someone who would volunteer to die. Triplets, if they were all to live, called for three volunteers. Do the parents have three volunteers? Said Leora Duncan. Last I heard, said Dr. Hitz, they had one and they were trying to scrape another two up. I don't think they made it, she said. Nobody made three appointments with us. Nothing but singles going through today, unless somebody called in after I left. What's the name? Welling, said the waiting father, sitting up, red-eyed and frowsy. Edward K. Welling Jr. is the name of the happy father-to-be. He raised his right hand, looked at a spot on the wall, gave a hoarsely wrenched chuckle. Present, he said. Oh, Mr. Welling, said Dr. Hitz, I didn't see you. The invisible man, said Welling. They just phoned me that your triplets have been born, said Dr. Hitz. They're all fine, and so is the mother. I'm on my way in to see them now. Hooray, said Welling emptily. You don't sound very happy, said Dr. Hitz. What man in my shoes would be happy, said Welling. He gestured with his hands to symbolize carefree simplicity. All I have to do is pick out which one of the triplets is going to live, then deliver my maternal grandfather to the happy hooligan and come back here with the receipt. Dr. Hitz became rather severe with Welling, towered over him. You don't believe in population control, Mr. Welling? He said, I think it's perfectly keen, said Welling tautly. Would you like to go back to the good old days when the population of the earth was 20 billion, about to become 40 billion, then 80 billion, then 160 billion? Do you know what a druplet is, (laughs) Mr. Welling? Said Hitz. Nope, said Welling sulkily. A druplet, Mr. Welling, is one of the little knobs one of the litty, little pulpy grains of a blackberry, said Dr. Hitz. Without population control, human beings would now be packed on the surface of this old planet like droplets on a blackberry. Think of it. Welling continued to stare at the same spot on the wall. In the year 2000, said Dr. Hitz, before scientists stepped in and laid down the law, There wasn't even enough drinking water to go around, and nothing to eat but seaweed. And still, people insisted on their right to reproduce like jackrabbits, and their right, if possible, to live forever. I want those kids, said Welling quietly. I want all three of them. Of course you do, said Dr. Hitz. That's only human. I don't want my grandfather to die either said Welling. Nobody's really happy about taking a close relative to the cat box, said Dr. Hitz gently, sympathetically. I wish people wouldn't call it that, said Leora Duncan. What, said Dr. Hitz. I wish people wouldn't call it the cat box and things like that, she said. It gives people the wrong impression. (laughs) You're absolutely right, said Dr. Hitz. Forgive me. He corrected himself gave the municipal gas chambers their official title, a title no one ever used in conversation. I should have said, Ethical Suicide Studios, he said. That sounds so much better, said Leora Duncan. This child of yours, whichever one you decide to keep, Mr. Welling, said Dr. Hitz, he or she is going to live on a happy, roomy, clean, rich planet, thanks to population control in a garden like that mural there. He shook his head. Two centuries ago, when I was a young man, it was a hell that nobody thought could last another 20 years. Now centuries of peace and plenty stretch before us as far as the imagination 
cares to travel. He smiled luminously. The smile faded as he saw that Welling had just drawn a revolver. Welling shot Dr. Hitz dead. There's room for one. A great big one, he said. And then he shot Leora Duncan. It's only death, he said to her as she fell. There, room for two. And then he shot himself, making room for all three of his children. Nobody came running. Nobody, seemingly, heard the shots. The painter sat on top of his stepladder, looking down reflectively on the sorry scene. The painter pondered the mournful puzzle of life, demanding to be born, and once born, demanding to be fruitful, to multiply and to live as long as possible, to do all that on a very small planet that would have to last forever. All the answers that the painter could think of were grim, even grimmer, surely, than a cat box, a happy hooligan, an easy go. He thought of war, he thought of plague, he thought of starvation. He knew that he would never paint again. He let his paintbrush fall to the drop cloths below. And then, just, then he decided he had, a, had about enough of life in the happy garden of life, too. And he came slowly down from the ladder. He took Welling's pistol, really intending to shoot himself, but he didn't have the nerve. And then he saw the telephone booth in the corner of the room. He went to it, dialed the well-remembered number, to be or not to be? Federal Bureau of Termination, said the very warm voice of a hostess. How soon could I get an appointment? He asked, speaking very carefully. We could probably fit you in late this afternoon, sir, she said. It might be even earlier if we get a cancellation. All right, said the painter. Fit me in, if you please. And he gave her his name, spelling it out. Thank you, sir, said the hostess. Your city thanks you, your country thanks you, your planet thanks you. But the deepest thanks of all is from future generations. The end. <laughs> the end. Right on. <laughs> Mike drop. Um, Right on. Yeah, T.R. Dales is in the Legion. That's awesome. I won't say it out loud, but type your name in the uh, chat. <laughs> so I know who you are, unless that's just your name. T.R. Dales. Mr. Dales. Um, Bertaria Kayak, what's going on in the Instagram Live? Steadfast Bear, I think, is also in the Legion. We'll post a little Legion thing. I think that's right. I think that sounds right. Steadfast Bear. I get really confused with bears a lot of times. I'll confuse people <laughs> <laughs> a lot like in different things um but yeah how'd you like that story <laughs> how'd y'all at home like that story to summarize what we just read and to just get into it um this awesome story is set in the future obviously it's written in 1962 but it's even set way beyond 2000 um probably about 100 or 200 years into the future Aging has been cured and people have indefinite lifespans. So population control is used to limit the amount of people in the United States to 40 million, which is enforced and maintained by a combination of infanticide and government-assisted suicide. Basically, for someone to be born, someone must first volunteer to die. So this results in births being few and far between, and deaths occur primarily by accident. We witness a scene from a waiting room in a Chicago hospital where Edward Welling Jr. is faced with a troublesome situation as his wife is about to give birth to triplets. But he has found only one person, his maternal grandfather, who will volunteer to die to make room for the incoming new people. A painter is on a stepladder in the hallway of the hospital painting a mural of the doctors and bureaucrats that are responsible for the suicides and infanticides that help maintain the population of the nation. The painting depicts them in a well-manicured garden, being a metaphor for the United States at this time. It soon becomes apparent to all that Welling is in a state of despair since he does not want to send his grandfather and two of his children to their deaths. 
One of the doctors questions Welling's belief in the system and tries to make him feel better by explaining how the surviving child will live on a happy, roomy, clean, rich planet. When suddenly Welling takes out a gun and kills the doctor, kills the bureaucrat, and then kills himself to make room for all three of the newborn children. The painter who witnesses the whole ordeal is about 200 years old, reflects on the scene, thinks about life, war, plague, and starvation. He descends the stepladder and, unable to kill himself with the gun laying there, calls the Bureau of Termination to make an appointment to commit suicide. Assisted suicide. The line from the receptionist on the other end is, Thank you, sir. <laughs> your city thanks you. Your country thanks you. Your planet thanks you. But the deepest of thanks of all is from all of the future generations. In this short story, Vonnegut paints an elaborate dystopian society in a concise, precise way. He doesn't waste words and pages painting a complex picture about the consequences of utopia seeking. Immediately in the story, Vonnegut introduces the apparently perfect society, one free of prisons, diseases, poverty, and war. As we continue reading, however, we soon learn that this society is far from the perfect, despite what the propaganda produced by the government, hospitals, and likely the corporation and media claims. They have to literally paint government and hospital workers into murals to depict them as heroic and necessary. And we are introduced to a popular song amongst, pe amongst the people that is really just propaganda used by the government to convince people to kill themselves. The ruling class of this society must constantly reinforce in their subjects' minds that they must accept their life circumstances or else the supposed utopia of the day will cease to exist. They use psychological manipulation techniques to manufacture one or two solutions to the problem that they themselves created. The problem being overpopulation, which is arbitrary and based on the opinions of psychopaths and the only solutions being infanticide and assisted suicide, or in other words, genocide in the name of maintaining the status quo. The ruling class maintains that murder must take place in order to allow people to give birth and have children of their own. Clearly, this perfect society has flaws that are not being addressed publicly, and those in charge take every opportunity possible to reinforce how supposedly great society is now that they are allowed to commit murder and genocide according to their own calculations and their own standards. We as readers are left to infer how the government is able to exert its control over the citizens. We are given hints throughout the story that the power of the government is what keeps people in line. But despite the warm and cozy propaganda on the walls, the radios, and through social interactions, it is clear to all with eyes to see and ears to hear that they are living in a totalitarian state, or else the main character would not feel the grief that he does regarding his newborn triplets. He knows that the law is strictly enforced and that there will be no escaping or working around it. The social design results in no individuality. The population control results in tyranny. The pursuit of utopia results in immorality and barbarism. In order to maintain what has been built and cultivated by the ruling class, the population must accept the murder of their own innocent babies or the voluntarily, voluntary deaths of themselves. The ruling government does not care who lives or who dies because all lives have become interchangeable. They are all viewed equally bad, as nothing more than parasites sucking up resources and space, whose lives are valued not according to their skills, or their behavior, or their abilities, or their work, or their intelligence, or their morality. Their lives are just numbers on a screen, and will be replaced by just another number should they decide, should they die or choose to not live anymore. Vonnegut, the legend, Kurt Vonnegut, masterfully portrays a world where the government sees no one as special, 
and where the drive to create a perfectly ordered society results in a homogenized, sterile, fruitless population. Even in this supposed perfect world, not everything can be controlled and predicted, despite the propaganda and the strong arm of the law. One example of the lack of individual autonomy in this dystopian society is the painter having to paint a mural he does not like. He is tasked with painting a mural for a room that is being redecorated as a memorial to a man who had volunteered to die. This mural depicts a nice garden with men and women in white and doctors and nurses with well-spread fertilizer, planted seedlings, and no bugs. The mural shows a perfect life and an ideal place to live. But the painter does not feel as if this is an accurate representation of a truly ideal life. Even in the painting, everyone is interchangeable. There is nothing truly meaningful about those being immortalized on that wall. Many faces of the figures in the picture are left blank and were to be filled with portraits on supposedly of supposedly important people on either the hospital staff or from the office of the Federal Bureau of Termination. These blank areas on the faces of the people represent the lack of individuality, the meaninglessness of life in this society. In the end, death is the only way to express individuality in this society, which is why the painter chooses it. His final action is individual choice. Refusing to conform to the government's demands, Welling pulls out a revolver and shoots the doctor and bureaucrat dead. It's only death, he states. And then he shoots himself. It is only then that Welling finally takes control over his own life and makes himself useful in his death. The doctor will just be replaced. The bureaucrat will just be replaced like faces being painted on blank bodies in a mural. Their deaths are ironic as only now are they taking part in the population control program that they have spent their lives promoting and enforcing. The painter watches this all, studies the scene, the painting, and evaluates his own life and decides to call the well-remembered number to be or not to be to arrange for his assisted suicide making way for someone else to take his place in this meaningless world. The painter is done with this world where he cannot even express individuality in his art, which is his profession and his passion. In this world, no one is forced to contend with morality without the looming fear of death and its mystery of what happens after life stretches into an endless, pleasurable, easy, bland existence. There is no sense of urgency to live a life that matters. No one is allowed to find meaning in their lives, and therefore they lack purpose and motivation. There is no compelling desire to make memories that count or to differentiate oneself in order to be remembered. There is no need for a legacy, and in this dystopian world where loss does not exist, there is no need to stop and smell the roses, as the roses are always blooming. TR in the chat says, if they killed the painter so I could raise my kids. If have killed the painter so that I could raise my kids. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> If I have killed the painter so I could raise my kids. Oh, you would have killed the painter so that you could live in... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't explicitly state, but I'm pretty sure it implies that he probably would have like, gone to jail. Although it does say no prisons. It says no prisons. So I guess, yeah, there might not be consequences for the murder of three people. But that's such a beautiful... I'd have. I'd have killed the painter so... Yeah. It's just so epic in so many ways. The imagery of the painting is so deep, you know? Like these faceless, interchangeable bodies that are like trying to trying to prune the garden and make the world perfect, you know? 
Let's make the world perfect. And everything then becomes so meaningless, becomes so empty, like literally empty. There's empty spaces on faces because everyone's lives become so meaningless when the world is quote unquote perfect, when utopia has been quote unquote achieved. Even though um, I forget what utopia even stands for, but I'm pretty sure it means non-existent. <laughs> Someone in the chat, look up the definition of utopia for me, like the actual meaning of it, the Latin roots or the, the roots of the word. I'm pretty sure it means like not existent or doesn't exist um, because it can never and will never exist. The only utopia is the kingdom of God, the eternity that waits beyond this life, which makes everything so foolish when people try to strive for utopia here and now. They try to make this life their best. We got to live for now. Make now matter and count. Make now perfect. You know, completely rejecting and denying the fact that all they have to do is love and trust their Lord, serve and obey Him only, and they will enter into the perfect utopia that awaits them in the afterlife, you know? With that, yeah, ducking autocorrect. <laughs> yeah, ducking autocorrect, yeah. Pardon me, iPhone, but I have never once used the phrase ducking <laughs> in my life. Please stop autocorrecting. Um, so right on. So this is from um, this first part here is um, from ChristianPost.com. Um, first off, man, Christianity Today uh, is, I believe, just satanic. <laughs> Every time I find something like written, I listen to this podcast that everyone's freaking out about, um, about Mars Hill Church by Christianity Today. Just an evil, awful, I think literally satanic organization LARPing around as Christians, you know, pretending to be Christians, trying to deceive Christians. The uh, wolf in sheep's clothing, if you will. So evil. They have they had a post about how population control is like needed and necessary and Christians shouldn't be so scared of population control and birth control. <laughs> so then of course basedchristianpost.com comes in with the reputation, not directly, but basically like indirectly calls out everything that Christianity Today was trying to like shove down our throats in a sneaky way. ChristianPost.com, base, ChristianPost.com comes in with this awesome thing I wanted to read. I kind of summarized it a little bit and shortened it up, and then I'm going to kind of carry on with my thoughts after. Well, again, ChristianPost.com writes, So the whole concept of overpopulation can be traced to Thomas Malthus, a British scholar and Anglican clergyman, who, without any specific knowledge other than his own speculations, predicted in 1790 that the planet's rapid increase in population would soon outstrip the planet's ability to produce food, resulting in massive worldwide starvation. Malthus's predict Malthus or Malthus's predicted famine never materialized, of course. He could not have predicted the industrial revolution or the enormous impact subsequent technological innovations would have on our ability to produce food. Recall that today our federal government actually pays farmers not to grow crops due to the abundance of food produced on considerably less farmland than existed just a century ago. Technology will outpace these people's opinions, you know, predictions. Even the United Nations, historically a rabid advocate of population control, has conceded that the world's current infrastructure is capable of supporting a worldwide population of more than 9 billion people. Furthermore, according to the most recent estimates, the planet's population will most likely continue to climb from its current level until 2050, when it will peak at 9 billion. Other predictions have the world's population peaking at 7.5 billion in 2040. In either case, global population levels will begin a sharp decline sometime during the middle of the 21st century. Present fertility rates actually indicate a massive underpopulation crisis is coming, particularly among Western nations. We're not making enough babies, y'all, <laughs> despite what the screens tell us. Margaret Sanger, you know, the evil witch, Margaret Sanger, the founder of the American Birth Control League, which later became Planned Parenthood, who is a known 
racist bigot <laughs> advocated for contraception, sterilization, and abortion as means of negative eugenics, quote-unquote negative eugenics, in order to limit the population of what she termed the lower races. She viewed blacks and Mexicans and Hispanics and brown people and disabled people and, you know, basically those who um, couldn't produce more food than they consumed, um, as well as, quote-unquote, immoral people. He's like, the blacks and the, the Mexicans and all that. She termed them the lower races, you know, her being a member of the white race. So again, Planned Parenthood started by a bigot evil witch <laughs> who hated the quote lower races and wanted to use contraception, sterilization, and abortion to uh, prevent them from being born and prevent them from repopulating. Whereas positive eugenics was the form employed by the Nazis in their attempt to breed a superior race of people. So in eugenics, there's kind of two general camps that people kind of fall into. Obviously, there's some gray areas or whatnot. But negative eugenics was the idea of preventing the quote-unquote lower races, the undesirable races that people decided in their own minds to be. Um, the idea of negative eugenics was to prevent them from increasing in population. Whereas there, the other camp, the positive eugenics camp, by the Nazis was to breed a superior race of people, to focus on making sure that like people are breeding more of your quote unquote superior race of people. Sanger, Margaret Sanger, a notorious racist and generally evil woman, opposed helping the poor, calling philanthropy and charity acts um, of perpetu they called them perpetuating constantly increasing numbers of defectives delinquents and dependents these dangers are inherent in the very idea of humanitarianism and altruism dangers which have totally or today produced their full harvest of human waste yeah there's your founder of Planned Parenthood y'all <laughs> produced their full harvest of human waste says the creator of Planned Parenthood Margaret Sanger an evil witch the same sentiment was common to Darwin and his early advocates as well, who saw Christian compassion as counterproductive to quote-unquote natural selection in human evolution. This isn't just a group of evil elites either. If anyone wants to be consistent with evolutionary theory, then they must be compelled to think the same way and not borrow from Christian morality and ethics as these have no logical place in the naturalistic worldview. Darwin understood that fact clearly, which is why he was so adamantly anti-Christian. Darwin, another evil and nasty human being, also was influenced by Thomas Malthus' writings about overpopulation. Excuse me. The myth of overpopulation first put forth by Malthus, coupled with Darwinian theories that promote propagation of the fit, the quote-unquote fit, and the reduction of the unfit, quote-unquote unfit people, has been instrumental in legitimizing abortion, forced sterilization, government-subsidized contraception, and, in the most extreme cases, eugenics as practiced by the Nazis and others. The term eugenics meaning means good births, um, which was coined by Francis Galton, a cousin of Charles Darwin. Eugenics, he believed, would encourage more children from the fit and fewer or no children from the unfit, with the ultimate goal of engineering the evolutionary ascent of man. In every case, these false notions undermine God's commandment to multiply and further serve to undermine the intrinsic value of every human being as being made in the image of God. So again, based ChristianPost.com <laughs> coming with the heat. And uh, yeah, don't ever watch, read, or listen to anything that Christianity Today puts out. Those guys are literally Satanists. <laughs> Allegedly, in my opinion. Could it be? They are literally Satanists over at Christianity Today. <clears throat> 
At, at best, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. The good news is despite all of this intended evil perpetuated by wicked hearts, the good news is that you and I can reject their thoughts, <laughs> their opinions, their attempts to control us through psychological manipulation and their supposed mandates and corporate rules. We can always be fruitful and multiply. We do not need permission. We do not have to beg anybody to do so. Nobody is stopping us other than ourselves. And unlike Vonnegut's story, nobody is requiring us with the force of law to kill someone or convince someone else to kill themselves in order for us to have children of our own. That is the true threat to our enemy, Satan. Good people reproducing more good people into his domain. Satan despises big, strong, healthy, happy families, and almost all of his energy seems to be focused on stopping them from forming or tearing them apart when they are, when they have been formed. Our enemy seeks to prevent us from having babies, seeks to convince us to murder them in the womb, seeks to have us raise them incorrectly, and seeks to make us regret having them at all. He wants, Satan that is, wants a low, docile, comfortable, content, creation-worshipping population that he can convince to rebel against their creator and his commandments. <clears throat> Satan, and this next part is going to be from my live stream a couple streams ago, live stream 69 about sex and purity. I thought it was awesome to just repeat it right here and now again for you. Satan does not want us to have happy, healthy, productive, honest, genuine, loving families. He doesn't want us working hard and being thankful and content with what we have. He doesn't want us obedient to God's laws and authority, trusting in our true Lord and Savior and focusing our eyes on eternity. Satan wants us to seek first our own pleasures, our own desires. He wants us to use each other, cheat each other, lie to each other, steal from each other, hate each other, distrust each other, fear each other, and he wants us to suffer and die. Satan wants sexual immorality to run rampant. He wants us to focus our lives on acquiring sex and pleasures. He wants us to use and abuse each other to get there, and he wants to keep us far away from God and righteous living so that he can capture our souls. But, but we win when we accept our place, when we are content with what we have earned, when we work hard, spread the truth of the Bible, love God and all of his children, when we repent of our failures and forgive others for theirs, we win when we trust in the Lord and fixate our eyes on eternity and not on the temporary pleasures, the fleeting happenings, and the worthless stuff of this earth. Men are to marry women. Be loyal and faithful to them. Provide for and protect them. Be fruitful and multiply with them. Honor them. Lead them into the right direction and maintain a holy union with them until death do they part. Anything other than that is exactly what Satan wants out of us. He wants us to be sexually liberated and craving constantly for sex. He wants us to be sterile and infertile. He wants us to be liars and cheaters, degenerates and perverts, sinners and godless souls. Reject all of that. Seek first and always God and his right ways. Bible reading bear. What's going on, Sheila? How's it going? Hope all is well. Long time no see. So yeah, that's from, you can go back a couple streams, live stream 69, sex and purity. We talked all about that and it carries over into this lesson topic we're talking about tonight. And we must obey the first commandment that God gave to us. One that is often overlooked by Christians, especially my peers. Uh, it's so disheartening talking to my friends, uh, you know, friends and peers and people in Bible studies when the idea of having babies comes up and they're always like, 
I don't know if I want to have kids or I'm going to wait five or 10 years before having kids, you know, because I, I, I want to go pursue my own career. I want to do my I want to do my thing first. I want to have fun. Me and my husband are going to have fun. We're going to wait five years, 10 years. Um, and these are like Christians. <laughs> I've heard Christians say they only want to have two kids because that will because they have that mindset of, you know, well, if me and my wife have two kids and that will replace us evenly. So we only want two kids. <laughs> I've heard no kids at all. I've heard people say like, yeah, they only want three or four maximum because basically it would be too much of a burden or it'd be too unaffordable or whatever excuse they have for it. But all of that is literally rejecting the first commandment that God gave to us. The very first commandment God gave to us is to be fruitful and multiply. And it's crazy how often people forget that. People who have basically been brainwashed by the culture. Brainwashed by the culture and love themselves more than they love obeying God's commandments. You know, They pursue their own pleasures, their own fun, their own lifestyle. Instead of doing what God told us to do, which was be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> not replace ourselves evenly, not wait five to ten years on birth control, you know, having fun, having all the sex without consequences for five to ten years before you have babies of your own. God said to be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> first. Seems like an seems like an important commandment if it's first, you know? <laughs> we need to lead the way, Christians. My my dudes, my ladies out there, Christians, we need to lead the way in repopulating this broken world with good, wholesome, beautiful, truthful, loving souls. It is time to stop complaining about how evil the world is and be a part of the change we want to see in it. We need to stop complaining about the eugenics programs happening all around us at all times. The time for complaining is almost past. It's either past or about to be past, guys. The time for building and growing our way out of the problems we face is upon us. We must crush now and leave the crying, the anger, and the fear behind us in our yesterdays and walk forward into our tomorrows full of love, hope, truth, and babies. <laughs> Have babies. These, you know, medical injections, these birth control agendas, and just outright murder of babies in the womb, the corn syrups, the processed foods, the drugs, the alcohol, and the porn that keeps us, you know, all these things, including the porn that keeps us docile, distracted, and physically weak. It is time to start taking action to prevent these things from entering into our minds and into our lives. You need to be the kingdom builder that God created you to be. Marry the one God has for you and be fruitful and multiply with that one. Sacrificing your own comforts and pleasures, your own desires and stuff, so that you can rightfully and masterfully serve the Lord, our God. We must, you and I, and all the Christians living today and in the future, we must choose to focus our time and energy on making babies and raising them right. We must fill the gaps in this weak and broken society with strong and righteous souls now. We must have and raise good, true, and beautiful people to send out into this world to bring and spread God's glory to all people in all the nations all across the realm at all times. The most powerful disciples you will ever encounter will be your own children. Go and make disciples, go and make babies, and go and make Satan grumpy and sad. Heck off, Satan. Heck off. BRB Shelly. Sheila, I'm sorry, not Shelly. <laughs> Shelly. I'm silly for saying Shelly. BRB Sheila, it's good to see you. Hope all is well. Bible reading bear. The legendary bedridden bear slash Bible reading bear. Back in my chat. TR Dells, thank you for tuning in. My girlfriend in the chat, thank you for letting me know my, my mic was broken on, on take one of this live stream attempt. Um, Joe Gagan, Bertaria Kayak, Steadfast Bear, fellow Legion Crusher, TR Dells, fellow Legion Crusher, um, Joe Gagan, fellow Legion Crusher. Thank y'all. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all hearing me out. 
that is going to do it for me tonight. I love you guys, and I'm glad you tuned into the stream here live with me or on the replay, on the video replay or the podcast replay. As always, my previous 70, stre- 70 streams can be found on my channel on YouTube, BitChute, Rumble, TV.gab, and I'm now on Odyssey. Even though I'm not streaming live, my replay videos are up on Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, at Planet on all of them. Not live streaming yet, but um, replays are there. Odyssey.com slash at Planet. All my other content stuff and links are at SeanBplanet.com. Social media is at SeanBplanet. Instagram, TikTok, Telegram, Gab, Social Galactic, Baratario Times apps. You know the deal. You know the drill. We're back here next Monday night. Dia de los Muertos or All Saints Day, whichever is uh, your preference. Next Monday, November 1st, 8 p.m. Central Time. And um, unless something happens, I'm going to be here live talking and chatting and asking questions to the legend, the legend, Rachel Effin Brown, Rachel Fulton Brown, um, fencing bear, um, if all works out. Until then, go out and seek what is good, true, and beautiful. Do good, be good, love and be loved. And be fruitful and multiply. I love you guys and I'll see you next week. Take care.